This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Learn more at exactsciences.com. Welcome to the Mad Splainers, a podcast from the Capital Times that makes sense of local issues. I'm reporter and podcast producer Natalie Yar. And I'm city and county government reporter Abby Becker. Across the country, local officials faced an extraordinary challenge this year how to allow Americans to cast ballots in the November election without exacerbating the ongoing pandemic or overwhelming the postal system. That meant changing everything from how ballots were collected to how polling places worked. But in Madison, the record voter turnout and quick counting process suggest success. Today, to discuss key takeaways from the November election, we're here with Madison City Clerk Mary Beth Witzel-Bell and Jennifer Haar, who is a member of the city's Racial Equity and Social Justice Initiatives core team. We'll be discussing what worked and what's still left to fix, as well as what changes may stick post-pandemic, including in the spring elections. Welcome to the show, Mary Beth and Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you. So... This past election posed some incredible challenges, and local clerks were under significant pressure to conduct a safe election under unprecedented circumstances. Mary Beth, what were your top considerations as you considered how to administer elections as the pandemic really took hold in the state? Well, we really focused on making sure that voters were able to cast a ballot in a way they were comfortable with and that they were able to do so safely. Uh, So that wasn't just pushing everybody to vote absentee by mail, uh, which we know some municipalities uh, really focused on pushing absentee voting. Uh, But if a voter doesn't trust the absentee voting process, we don't want them to have to feel forced into that process and then have to worry about whether their ballot will be counted. Definitely. And so what were some of, you know, maybe the new practices implemented during these pandemic era elections? And, um, you know, maybe in your mind, um, some some new initiatives to help uh, with that trust issue that, that you discussed? Well, in April, we tried to open as many polling places as we could. And of course, there was really not very much time to pull that together. So we had a reduced number of polling places in April. And it wasn't until after the April election when we conducted an equity analysis that we realized that uh, that could be disenfranchising people, that there are members of our community where absentee voting is not a good option for them and they need to be able to cast their ballot in person. And if we are moving their polling place to a consolidated location, and it's not as close to their home as it ordinarily would be, uh, that's a big impediment for them and could stop them from voting during the pandemic. Uh, Additionally, we've had reduced bus service and people have transportation issues to navigate in getting to the polls. Uh, So moving a polling location uh, is a bigger deal than it ordinarily would have been and we were able to talk to members of the community to find out what the consequences would be that we hadn't even thought about in our office uh, for people who suddenly have to go to a 
different neighborhood to cast their ballot on election day. Yeah, and there was, um, I wanted to ask you also about, you know, uh, the new uh, drop boxes that were installed. And, you know, I think there was, um, you know, increased use of curbside voting. And um, yeah, so I'd love to hear a little bit more about, you know, maybe um, some newer methods or maybe methods that weren't as popular in the past, but really kind of took off, um, you know, in this pandemic time. And, and then, you know, kind of of those, you know, um, you know, new, new ways to drop off a ballot or even, you know, events to do that, if there was anything in particular, you know, you as a city clerk were excited to be behind. Well, we talked to members of the community about the obstacles that they saw in April. And one thing that came up was that voting absentee uh, can be really difficult for people with disabilities. Uh, That if you have a disability and you're voting by an absentee ballot sent to you through the mail, you might not be able to independently cast a secret ballot. And in April, we had gone to a drive-up voting method uh, just for safety reasons to try to prevent the spread of COVID. But if you have a sight impairment, for example, uh, and you're doing the drive-up voting, that means you need to have somebody else help you mark your ballot. So we ordered carts that are specially made for our accessible voting devices that we were then able to wheel the express vote right out to somebody's vehicle. And they could use that express vote with a braille keypad, high resolution, large print, uh, or Spanish translation right from their vehicle and be able to independently mark a secret ballot. And as Election Day got closer, what, if anything, was keeping you up at night? Mostly COVID concerns and just wanting to keep everybody safe, keep the poll workers safe, keep the voters safe, and make sure that our polling places would be adequately staffed, even if we did have a lot of last-minute cancellations due to COVID. Uh, That, I think, weighed most heavily on us throughout this past year. But then we wanted to make sure that COVID did not cause us to do things that would end up disenfranchising people. So we didn't want to just copy what other municipalities might be doing. We wanted to make sure we were taking action based on feedback that we gathered in April, after the April election, uh, to make sure that people were able to cast their ballot in the way they were comfortable with, and they had safe options no matter what. And when it came to the poll workers, am I right that we had a record number of volunteers? We did. We had twice as many volunteers as we typically would have for a presidential election. Do you think that that had anything to do with like city efforts when it came to outreach? Or what would you attribute all of that interest to? Well, I think there were a lot of uh, factors there. Uh, For one thing, we had large employers in the area giving employees the day off to work at the polls. And then uh, we're fortunate that we have a lot of people who are very civic-minded and knowing that older poll workers needed to stay home to stay safe, they stepped up 
knowing that there was a need. Very cool. Yeah, and so we'll, um, in a little bit here, get into more of that feedback, you know, that, that you referenced. But um, I wanted to ask, you know, how do you judge the success of an election? Um, you know, kind of going into it and then reflecting afterward, like what to you says, okay, the, these elections were a success? Well, part of it is turnout. Uh, that our goal in the city clerk's office is that everybody who is eligible to vote and wants to vote is able to do so and have their ballot counted. Uh, so that's one measure that we have. But we will, once again, after we finish reconciling all the numbers from this election, take a look at voter turnout by ward to see if there were any areas of Madison where turnout was lower and try to figure out if there's anything we could have done to make it possible for people to cast their vote if they wanted to and to feel safe doing so. And what was it like to be facing all these new challenges while simultaneously the president was alleging that the voting process was riddled with problems? Well, working on the election consumes all of your free time. So we weren't necessarily aware of everything that was being said outside of our office. Uh, our main concern was the feedback we were hearing from voters. And so there were things that were said at the national level that then voters reacted to. And we were hearing from voters first before we figured out why voters were contacting us about certain things. So for example, uh, returning your ballot through the mail, there were some comments made about um, discouraging people to return ballots through the mail. And so we heard from a lot of voters who wanted to remain safe during COVID and were very reluctant to put their absentee ballot back in the mail. And uh, based on that feedback, we then created Democracy in the Park so voters could return their absentee ballot in person to a poll worker without having to wait. We also ordered drop boxes, which seemed to take forever to arrive. Uh, but uh, once they were installed, that was an option for a contact-free way to deliver your absentee ballot without having to put that ballot through the mail. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. So let's get into, you know, a lot of this feedback that we keep talking about. So the city conducted, you know, this racial equity and social justice analysis of the April election. Um, so Jennifer, could you explain why this was conducted and walk us through, you know, some of the main findings that, that you all realized? Sure. Um, so I guess to kind of give a little bit of background um, to this kind of project or process, as part of the Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, the government provides money to communities. And one of the requirements is that the communities have an affirmative action plan. And part of having an affirmative action plan is to be able to kind of raise these questions of who isn't at the table? Why aren't they at the table? You know, and what can we do to bring them 
to the table. And so that's kind of the background is in order to be able to get that money to help the communities, it's part of a requirement. But I think that it goes deeper than that in terms of um, this is really how we should be thinking anyway <laughs> um, nowadays. And especially, I think, coming from a government agency, we really want to you know, remain transparent to the public. We want to show them that we aren't something um, to be feared, that we are approachable, so to speak, um, and especially as related to elections and especially, you know, this year with the um, atmosphere. So after the April election, because we didn't have much time to implement a lot of, of measures, I think that we would have wanted to had we had the time, uh, we decided to apply an equity lens. And so we had an equity tool that the uh, racial equity social justice initiative with the city that they created. And what we did is we gathered members of the community together and met with them. Um, I believe it was at least twice. We may have had a third meeting. I don't uh, recall offhand. Uh, but we met twice with them and we really just let them talk. Um, that's what it's about. It, it's finding out from the community, the people who are actually doing the voting or who may be worried about how to get their vote cast is to sit and really to listen to them. Um, we did ask a few questions just to kind of prompt the conversations, but we really just let them talk. And I think that they really found it very helpful, I think, to have their voices heard or to know that government was sitting there listening to what their concerns were. And yes, we may not have been able to, you know, meet 100% of the uh, requests uh, that come in, but we would try to do anything, you know, within our power that we could do. And from that came a lot of, of great recommendations of things to look at going forward from April um, to try to continue to address, you know, concerns about COVID and, and finding, you know, polling locations or use of the ballot boxes. So things like that came from it. And I think that that's a great thing. And obviously, this can only help us, you know, going forward, we can build off of that. Definitely. And, and the report, too, was really interesting to read through. And you could see a lot of people were involved and there were lots of seemingly lots of ideas that came from it. Were there any like of the specific items that came up? Were there any um, sort of top recommendations that you saw, Jennifer, that you were, you know, wanted to you know pursue right away for the next election? I think one of the things that really stood out to us was finding out and hearing that there was a lot of distrust of the mail system. And that was even, I think, really before we had heard any sort of, you know, rumors or grumblings about the post office, you know, maybe having delays or anything like that. So finding out that certain members of the community were distrustful of mail helped us to think about, okay, if we're going to send out an absentee ballot to someone in the mail, what are some alternative ways to get those ballots back that doesn't have to involve putting it in the mail because that voter may not trust that it's actually going to get to us um, in a safe way unscathed manner. And so I think that that led to us being able to uh, implement the ballot boxes that were around town for November, um, the democracy in the parks 
events that were held on the two Saturdays prior, but things like that came from it. Um, I think another recommendation that came from it that was great was um, being able to find out things like some of our polling places uh, prior had been held in uh, fire stations or police stations just because of the locations um, that were available to us at those times. And, you know, really hearing from the community and really thinking about how it might make people very uncomfortable to have to go into a police station, for example, in order to be able to cast a ballot on election day and maybe not realizing that they have uh, the alternative of of doing an absentee ballot and then feeling like they're forced either to not vote um, or to go someplace that they feel very uncomfortable uh, going in the first place. And so I think that um, being able to move our polling places away from um, police stations, I think, helped. And that was just, you know, for um, our voters' um, safety concerns. Definitely. And there's just, you know, looking back um, on the elections of this year, you know, there's just so much that I as a reporter and then also someone who lives in Madison was trying to figure out. Um, And so, you know, I'm, you know, looking at you all in the clerk's office to really consider, you know, all of the concerns from the entire city. I mean, that's a a big lift. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, so I guess, you know, now looking ahead to this analysis of the November election, will it be anything in particular that um, that you'll be, you know, looking out for or any um, specific questions that you would want to get feedback on from members of the public? I think that one of the nice things is, is that once you apply an equity lens and you come up with a list of recommendations, I think one of the great things is that it's, it's, um, changeable. Nothing is set in stone. And so we can always go back and reevaluate answers to particular questions or reevaluate things based on feedback that the public is able to provide to us, which we um, obviously appreciate. It also, I think, goes back to being able to pull that initial group back together every once in a while and being able to say, okay, we've now experienced, you know, the November election. What worked well? what may need to be improved upon and being able to add or or change up the recommendations lists um, from uh, prior elections. And I think going forward, we'll be able to look at things that we didn't have before. So like the ballot boxes, um, you know, maybe there's a better way to advertise that those are available or where they are you know, depending on maybe what feedback we get or how we as an office felt going into November. Um, And looking at things like Democracy in the Parks, is this an event, you know, that was super helpful that we want to look at having in other elections, not just, you know, like a presidential. So I think this just provides additional help in moving forward or to keep moving forward. And Mary Beth, is there anything um, that you'll specifically be looking for in that analysis of the November election? Well, this is an ongoing conversation. And so we don't want to be looking for specific things. We want to be as open-minded as possible that uh, there could be something that we have no idea is an issue and we want to be open to receiving that feedback. Uh, In April, when we were receiving a record number of absentee requests. And 
people had to upload their IDs. And so we were checking thousands of IDs every day. Uh, what stood out to us at that point was that these IDs are really white. This does not look like the city of Madison. So we knew there was something going on there. We weren't sure what it was, but in the midst of processing all those absentee requests, we said, right after this election, we need to do an equity analysis to figure out what's going on and to make sure that people aren't being disenfranchised. Uh, so then when we held the equity analysis, what we were told was that we do not trust absentee voting. And we do not want to respond to that by saying, well, then we'll just educate you about absentee voting and you'll just see it's fine. We want to take the feedback to heart and we want to build trust and be responsive to the needs of the community. So if you do not trust absentee voting, what method of voting do you trust and how can we make that method more accessible to you? Uh, so we're not going to, after this election, go back to our community partners and say, okay, we need for feedback on these three items. We want it to be a very open-ended questions and find out, did you have any obstacles to voting? And if so, what were they and what could have been done to help overcome those obstacles? And then we will use that feedback to make our plans for future elections. And how do you think that this election or this pandemic election experience might change the way people vote after the pandemic's over? Well, I think it's going to be different for different groups of people. And we have no idea what the whole recount effort is going to be doing as far as the way you voters view the voting process and uh, make their plans for future elections either. Um, so we're not looking at all of our voters as just one solid group, all city of Madison voters. Uh, each voter is an individual and we care about each individual voter. We're not going to treat them all the same. We want to just make sure that they have options, they know what those options are, and that there's an option that will work well for them. Absolutely. Is there anything else that might be good to share to listeners of the Madsplainers, you know, on, on this topic? One thing we have done in the past for our election officials is we have taken literacy tests that were given in the South years ago, and we've had our election officials go through those tests to see what it would feel like to have to try to take one of those tests. And that's relevant to our polling places because we have voters who moved to Madison from Mississippi and in the past had to take these tests or had relatives who had to take these tests. And if you go through one of those tests and put yourself in somebody's shoes and imagine what it would be like to face that in trying to be able to just get registered to vote, that can um, help you understand how people are approaching you at the polling place and uh, can help you have more empathy and be more helpful 
to people at the polling location because the experience we want people to have here in Madison is the opposite of the experience people had when they were confronted with those literacy tests. We wanna be helpful and uh, welcoming to people at the polls and uh, not stand there as a gateway and a barrier and um, somebody there to judge the voters. Definitely. Well, thanks for sharing all of that. Jennifer, Marybeth, thank you so much for being on the Madsplainers. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to the Madsplainers. Got a question about a local issue? That's what we live for. You can email us at abecker at madison.com. And your question could become the next Madsplainers episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Madsplainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening. You can also check out our other podcasts, including The Corner Table, all about food and drinks in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. I'll be back on Wednesday to tell you all about the next Cap Times cover story. Until then, thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colaguard. Once again, be sure to learn more at exactsciences.com.